Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Take talk with you anywhere with the all-new Talk 1370 app. Listen to your favorite shows. Keep up with the latest breaking news and more. Search for Talk 1370 in the App Store or find the links at Talk1370.com. It's anywhere I need. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio. Speed City. Good evening, gearheads. Welcome to Speed City. What an incredible <laughs> Formula One race today, man. I'm breathless. No kidding. It was uh, best race of the year in my mind. Got maybe the best race in a long time. Yeah, and there's always a worry with this. I mean, you see qualifying and, you know, you, you look at that circuit and you compare it to Monaco, but it's almost narrower. Um, there was weirdness. I mean, in terms of it's got that. Ma- it's actually a bit like Macau. It reminded me of Macau. A massively long straight, and then very, very, very tight. Uh, and Les, you were saying earlier, Turn eight. You f- yeah, but also you re- you forget um, just yeah. how much the cars have changed since last year. Yeah, there wasn't much activity as far as crashes last year during the race. Now qualifying was definitely busy, but uh, you know once the race got going, it, it was you know not all that exciting. But uh, this year certainly changed, and I've got a bet that the the extra width of the tires this year has added to it. Oh, yeah. Good point. You, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point, Mr. Kaiser. Well, this is John Massengill. That's Les Kaiser and Jonathan Green. Howdy. And we are really excited because, obviously, we're going to talk about Formula One. We're going to talk about some MotoGP. But we have Scott Dixon, fresh off of his win in IndyCar today. 41st. Yeah, 41st win of his career. Amazing. What is he? That puts him like... Like a, uh, like I top think he's now four? top three now. Top yeah, three. I, I, think yeah. He, I think he equaled. Uh, I want to say he's just behind Mario Andretti. Now. Yeah, I mean, it's just nuts. <laughs> say that again. You're just behind Mario I know. Andretti. It's not bad, is it? Yeah. You can't suck anywhere if you're that close. That's <laughs> that's Put awesome. This way, he's won at 23 different circuits. I think there's only five active circuits he hasn't that won. That he hasn't won. Wow. Well, hey, let's jump right into some Formula One because we have Inga Strecka, you know, our European correspondent. We're going to get here in a few this minutes. This could be interesting. This could be very interesting. But uh, she's from Germany, obviously. But I want to play a couple of clips first because we have, uh, from NBC, we have a couple of clips, one from... Lewis Hamilton and one's from Sebastian Vettel. Well, do you want to set this up? Because there's a lot of people who may not have seen That's the Grand Prix. Or even Why don't know you what do that for okay. That's a great idea because if you hadn't, this it, would not make sense. Baku was frankly bizarre. It was batty. It was <laughs> every word you can begin with B that is odd. Um, but it was great. Um, but the main part about it was it was red flag. There was so much debris, as Les calls it, it was the... Yeah, the uh, debris Grand Prix. There you go. <laughs> and um, it was quite bizarre. At one point, they red flagged it. And at the restart, two weird things happened. One, uh, Hamilton um, didn't get his car prepared right and uh, had to come in for a 10-second penalty. They then had, they also had a, uh, a restart under safety. And Hamilton, because he was leading the race, um, was therefore controlling it. But the safety car, was lights were still on. And weirdly enough, um, 
he kind of looked as though he slowed right down and the bottom line is Vettel went right into the back of him and was so incensed he became an Italian <laughs> and basically rammed Lewis Hamilton. Uh, no, 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 no argument he, about that. He flat went hockey on him. He pulled he up next to him and body checked him <laughs> off to the right. He did. And you know we looked While at it. While there, there were a couple of a uh, couple of camera views that showed it, and you cannot argue that Seb pulled up directly next to him and veered to the right. He Ham had he no place to go. Him. I mean, he, he, he did. He just rammed he him. He bumped this. him hard, and so def very definitely a body check. Now the argue, argument comes back of, you know. Was that legit? No, I don't think anybody can really say it was legit. And then uh, the other argument that is probably more appropriate is, did Hamilton break check him when he came out? Ham's team was telling him to back off the pace car a little bit so he could, so that he could speed up and build up brake heat uh, in that space that he would have created between the uh, the pace car, the safety car there. So well, he, they were all, having issues there. There's all sorts. Of of, of trouble and controversy connected with this. We'll tell you about what happened afterwards. Uh, we're going to get Inger on, but there's also penalty points. There was a penalty in the race for Vettel, which meant Ten that, uh, yeah, which meant he didn't get on the podium. Um, but we'll get into all of the repercussions of it afterwards. Here's what Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel had to say. One a three-time world champion, Lewis. another a four-time world champion. It definitely sets the president, I think, not only for... It says the president within Formula One. I think it also does for, for all the young kids that are watching us Formula One drivers drive and conduct ourselves. Uh, they've seen today how a mortal four-time world champion behaves, and I think uh, hopefully that doesn't ripple into the younger categories. Um, in terms of how things are penalised, how you can do something like that and then still finish fourth, I think it's, uh, I don't know. Um, I've not really thought too much about it since I just tried as hard as I could to, to get back up, but uh, obviously it's, yeah, not a great day in that sense. Does it change the way you fight him from now on? Does it change how you how you go into those those moments? Uh, I don't know. Again, it's only just happened, so I've got to think about it. Um, whatever, I'm, I'm going to be pushing as hard as I can, just as I have been, so I'll give it everything I've got. Yeah, so that was Lewis Hamilton. And the one thing that I – we're going to play Sebastian Vettel next. And by the way, that's from NBC. That's Will Buxton interviewing him. But the one thing that I absolutely agree with is that it doesn't seem right that Vettel can finish fourth after doing that. I yeah. mean, a 10-second penalty, you, let's, we can, we're going to argue the rest of the show about what, you know, what should – Yeah, you know, it, it, there's a couple things that came into play. Now, I, I agree. It's disappointing that Vettel still finished there. But the, uh, the collar or the headrest unit in Hamilton's car was not secured correctly after the red flag, and it came loose. Well, it's a safety issue, so he had to come into a pit that had everything been done correctly, he wouldn't have come in, and quite honestly, he'd be up there with Ricardo battling. And they worked out that it was about a 10-second stop, which is what we're, what we're trying to say here is, in some ways, is that, you know, one, guy gets, wash. one guy gets a penalty for ramming the other guy, his championship, and the other guy has a safety issue, quite rightly, that needs to be changed, because he was literally going down the street yeah. holding one holding a one arm out the, out the cockpit, holding it on. So, you know, it, it really doesn't, it doesn't, the penalty does not... Fit the, crime. Fit the crime. And I actually think both Ferrari and the FIA will have more repercussions because, as Lewis said in that interview, what precedent does this set? Always in the drivers' meetings, always in Formula One, always in Michael Schumacher's day, they were 
always very strong about we are setting the example. We are the best 24 drivers in the world. And if you tell a guy, uh, Etten Senna was very, you know, uh, pulled up a lot on this because he was very aggressive all the time. And they said, well, you know, when he was going out with Prost and stuff and hitting each other, they were like, well, what precedent does this set? If you can get away with this, that other kids in, in, in lower formula will risk things and be dangerous. And you can't be dangerous in a dangerous sport. You can't be actively so. You know, if, if they, you're right. If they don't stop it, we're going to have people crashing at the end of the back straightaway, getting out and throwing helmets at cars again. <laughs> oh, sorry, NASCAR. Never mind. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and hear, uh, let's hear Sebastian Vettel's uh, rebuttal almost. But this is, this is also from NBC. Well, I think you saw... We saw first there was contact from behind. Do you feel that Lewis was driving too slowly? Uh, well, no, the leader dictates the pace, but we were exiting the corner. He was accelerating and then he braked so much that I couldn't... I was braking as soon as I saw, but I couldn't stop in time and ran in the back of him. I think that was just not necessary. And then there was the moment in which you hit him from the side. Lewis says this is a dangerous precedent, not just for Formula One, but also for kids coming through the sport. Uh, I think, you know, Formula One is for grown-ups. I think, uh, as I said, the maneuver before was not necessary and obviously uh, damaged my front wing, damaged also his rear, I think, a little bit. So I think that was just not the right way to do it, exiting the corner, accelerating and then braking. Um, I don't think there was any point of doing that. Was the contact deliberate on your front? When I ran into the back of him? No, when you ran in from the side. Well, I drove alongside and then we had a little contact. I drove alongside mostly to raise my hand and I didn't give him a finger or anything. I just, you know, wanted to tell him because I can't literally talk to him that that was all right. So was it deliberate or not? Well, the way of raising the hand. No, the contact. Well, I think I don't, you know, I don't think it was very deliberate for him to break check me. I don't think he's that kind of guy, but obviously that's what it turned out to be and that's what it did. So I wasn't happy with that. Do we take lack of answer on that then, that it was deliberate? Well, his brake check maneuver. No, that your move on him was deliberate. Well, I drove alongside him, as I said, and raised my hand to say, you know, uh, that's, that's not the way to do it. Because obviously in that moment, you know, I damaged my front wing. Uh, I think he paid a price as well by having slight damage to his car as well. So I think in the end, I'm not, uh, I don't agree with the penalty that I got. Because if he penalized us or if he penalized me, then he should penalize both of us. Because it was not the way to do it. Wow, he, he never answered the question. Petulant. That's quite a dance step. <laughs> what you say, petulant? Petulant, that's the word. Yeah. No, and I'll tell you what, um, I'm, I, honestly, I've, I love Sebastian Vettel and I love all his four world champions, but he's lost a lot of respect from me in that incident. I think he will apologise publicly for that interview and evidently other interviews he's given. Right now, he, it's almost as though he's become a fiery Italian driving, driving the Ferrari car. You know, he's on the radio sh cursing and shouting at everybody all last year. He's, he's gesticulating like an Italian. And I mean, you know, you're part of that Tifosi, you're part of that Ferrari thing. But today was hot-headed for a German four-time world champion. You saw Hamilton's re re you know, reply was, I'll have a think about it before I actually make an opinion of it. And Vettel just, I mean, by the way, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant interviewing 
by Will Buxton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I take my hat Tactful, off. and he stayed on it. He oh, stayed he, on he it. He will not give up. I love that about him. Yeah. The biggest lesson, anybody who wants to do that job, and I've done it, and I've been around, and I've been the pit reporter, it's all very well winning their respect and doing the nice interviews when they've done well. You've got to go for the jugular if they do what they did today. And Vettel, you could see his face were, was almost like, but Will, you know, we've had such nice yeah. interviews. We get <laughs> on well, you don't we? And Will's like, yeah, but just answer the question. And it was great. Matchett summed it up on NBC, another brilliant comment, which was that he said, what do you think of all of Vettel's actions? And he said, quite simply, he could have had a third place for Ferrari, and that will count at the end of the year. And they got to go back to Marinello and say, what were you doing? He could have had a first place. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what was crossing through my mind. But, but yeah, let me go back to something you said. You said he's... Don't bang the mic at me. <laughs> you said he's become petulant. You know, you've lost a little respect. But, you know, there's been a, a little glimpses, actually more than glimpses of this, going all the way back to Mark Webber and, uh, yeah. and battling with Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah. I, when you, we've seen some of this Vettel before. This no, is, I agree. So he's... Uh, I want to know what Inga thinks. Yeah. All right, well, let's go to a break. And when we come back, we are going to get Inga to... Uh, to get to give us her perspective on all this, because I want to ask her several things, including what penalties should her German friend have had instead of that 10 seconds. Fair enough. Because that's not enough. All right, you're listening to Speed City Live in Austin, Texas. We'll be back after these messages. The Augusta motorcycles are the epitome of Italian style, precisely crafted with a passion for two-wheel art on wheels. Ducati Austin are the only MV Augusta and Ducati factory authorized technicians in Austin, servicing all European brands. Check the Brutali Sport Naked, the most extreme essential naked bike ever. Or the Turismo Veloce 800, the first revolutionary tourer to be built by MV Augusta. Or if you want a pedigree steeped in racing, then look no further than the World Supersport winning triple F3, 675 and 800. Or go all out for the ultimate legendary F4 MV Augusta. Italian style with Texas soul. Trade-in, consignments welcome and financing available. To Caddy Austin and the home of MV Augusta at 818 Breaker Lane, just east of I-35. Precision Camera and Video is the largest camera store in Texas with over 10,000 square feet and packed with all the latest manufacturer offerings. Founded in 1976 and still owned and operated by its founders Jerry and Rosemary Sullivan, Precision Camera is committed to the finest customer experience. With hand-picked products and on-hand experts, you won't find a more helpful, knowledgeable and accommodating sales staff for quality service. Come see for yourself Precision Camera and Video, 2438 West Anderson Lane. Get breaking news, exclusive contests, and more delivered right to your inbox. I like knowing things. Join the Right Choice Club at Talk1370.com and you'll be in the know. Just go to Talk1370.com and click on the Right Choice Club from Talk 1370. The Right Choice. Talk 1370. The Right Choice. What's up? This is Bilko, Freestyle Motocross Rider with the Nitro Circus, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back. We're here in Austin, and we're talking Formula One so far. We're going to talk a little IndyCar with Scott Dixon here in just a few minutes. We're also going to talk some MotoGP later in that the show. That was Bilko. He's an Aussie. It's a big day for Aussies. They're, yeah. dr they're drinking out of shoes. Yeah, it is. Fourth win in eight races. Four different drivers. So everyone was tweeting out their pictures, including F1, and all the, the pictures of the... They, they tweeted one and said the best pictures of the day, and I tweeted back, and I was like, no way. The best picture of the day was Lance Stroll 
after he took a giant gulp of the sweaty <laughs> shit. Did you see that Smile in his butt off. No, he, he looked like he was about to spit it back out. He really looked like he was about to puke. It looked said like something about damage for life. <laughs> it was hilarious. But All right, well, let's bring Inga Streck on the line because she's our Formula One correspondent from Germany, and we're going to get her unique perspective today. Inga, welcome back to Speed City. Hi there. How are you doing? Good. What a day, huh? What a race. Right. I'm not so sure if I agree with all you said before, oh, like good. the German friend part and things like that. Oh, I'm a neutral journalist, He's guys. been officially... Different, He's unfriended. Go ahead. Angus, seriously, give us your... First of all, give us your journalistic take. Forget about the fact that you're German. I want to know what you think. You know Vettel very well, better than most. That's why it's great to have you on the show. What do you think of his actions today? Well, like, how... Let's say like like who of you guys or who of anybody has not raised their hands, shouted in their car when the guy in front of them did something that they didn't agree with. Okay, uh, guilty as charged. Well, that's not the part <laughs> I have. <laughs> I'm good with that. I'm with you. I've whether we have Italian temper or not, For, or whether we eat plenty of Italian pasta, and God knows what they put into that Ferrari pasta, hey. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll grant to, you that. But that's not the part I'm worried about. I'm, I'm talking no, about. No, 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 I know, I know. <laughs> then to drive alongside the guy, it's something that a few of us might sometimes do when you finally get past him, he finally pulls over, and you look, who is that in the car next to me, right? Yeah. few of us have done that. Who's oh, that yeah. idiot? Raise right? your I'm hands, you. maybe do some gestures. <laughs> and you might tell um, them that you're number one with one of your way, fingers, maybe the friendly, middle one. No fingers involved. Um, the, the, I've, been, I've been listening to Fettel answering the questions like he did to Will. Yeah. Also in German, to other English colleagues. He's been asked that question by others as well. And he has not responded or not reacted at all to the driving into part. Yeah. I'm wondering if whether under too much temper or not, he was not aware that they did yeah. touch. I'm wondering. I'm not saying he did not or he was not aware. And I'm not saying he did not do it deliberately. But I'm wondering because he's just not at all answering. I, I and he's not, answering everything else. It, it's funny. I actually said that. It's funny. When you do something outrageous on the road or in a situation uh, and, and your friends pull you up on it, you kind of almost, not blank it out of your mind, but you kind of, you you, you make it smaller than it really is because you don't want it to be big. In other words, I don't think, I don't think in, in the heat of the moment he was trying to ram him off the road, but he did it anyway. But my, I, I mean, Inga, your opinion, like I said, you know Vettel. Um, I mean, what's your opinion of what he did? I mean, I mean, it's not a very responsible way to act for a four-time world we, champion. When you look at it, all the commentators, I was watching and re-listening to it also on various channels, like four or five different TV channels. Uh -huh. And none of the commentators actually caught it at first. It had to be yeah. replayed once or twice until they finally go like, hey, they did touch again. Yeah. And and you look at the scene from front and from behind. From behind. I saw it from both sides. And it's like he drives slightly alongside him careful to stay behind him because he knows that if he was going past him, he would get penalized. That's a good point. And then he raises his hands out that out of the cockpit to wave at Hamilton. And and as he does that, the the wheels are turned slightly to the right. So it's it's really hard to judge, to be really honest. 
I think you're giving. I, I think <laughs> I think you're being a friend to Vettel here. I think you're giving us the German perspective. She he rammed un- him, Inga. I, I, she didn't unfriend him. <laughs> he rammed him. He he I'm, deliberately I'm, I'm drove a, into I'm Hamilton. I'm sorry. I'm giving you a diplomatic view. I know, Dom. Um, you yeah. don't want, this isn't Brussels now. We had Brexit. I'm on part of it. <laughs> I'm out of you. Ah, no, look. Let's say what. Let's see what happens if Fettel has seen the replays. Let's okay. see if he then realizes that maybe he should have answered differently, or maybe he's going to come out and say something in the next few days. He did say in the end to RTL Germany, which was one of the later interviews, he did say. Um, I'm not going to talk to him today, but I think I'll call him next week. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I just think it's unprecedented. And, and I think Hamilton did sum it up well when he said, you know, you've got to set an example. And it was clear that, you know, it was a clear reaction of frustration. And you're right. He may well have been brake checked. And it looked that way to me that Hamilton slowed yeah, but, right but, down. You know what? If, if, if someone going out and saying, well, we've got, a lead, got to be a leading example. Brake testing is not a leading example either. And asking openly that your teammate compromises his podium yeah, that wasn't to good. slow the guy in front of you down so you can get by, which is what Hamilton did before all that happened, exactly. is also not a leading example. Yeah, and by the way, I think Toto jumped straight on that. I don't know if it was Toto's voice or his engineers, but they said, no, immediately, Botas is chasing um, uh, Stroll, and, and we don't right. want to give Vettel a chance to, 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 to get DRS. Right. Yeah. And that was correct of Mercedes, very much very so. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, we heard the, a noise of the opposite argument last year in slowing folks up. So uh, I want to move on to penalty discussion. Let's start off with the first penalty, which was 10 seconds. Seeing what we've seen on camera now, was 10 seconds enough? Well, I've listened to ex-drivers like, you know, Mark Sewer from, from um, Sky Germany, for example, he did say, well, look, at a speed that these guys were doing, it's not dangerous. That's coming from a former racing driver. That's his, that's their view, the racing driver view. For them, that's like, oh, we're going slow. We can do that. Um, for for us from the outside, you can, you can again argue and say, hold on, it's still dangerous. You should not do that principle, full stop. I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm total yeah. agreement now. Yeah, with that, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I, there's just no room for. I said it. It's petulant. I mean, you know, it's you cannot. It, it, you know, imagine that the safety car had pulled off and that they got into a tussle and a fight down that one point mile, one point two mile straight, and he'd done something similar while still as angry. Now, okay, he might have come to his senses, but I mean, it doesn't matter. That moment of red mist came over. And if it had been at speed, thank it, thank goodness it wasn't, uh, it could have led to a very, very dangerous well, I don't, finish. I don't think it would have happened right, at you, speed. Sorry. Go ahead, Inga. You, you said the right word, the red mist, because the fact how, how Sebastian answered Will's question um, over and over again, and he said, well, look, there was no finger involved or something. He, he doesn't, he, it, it really sounds like he did not, he did blend out that he actually touched him. He yeah, actually I, I drove think you're right. I think he, so I think he blanked it out. Well, there was no finger involved. You know, that's like a lame excuse if you drive into someone. That's worse than showing a finger. You know what? I call BS on all of that. I, there's no way. <laughs> there is no way that Sebastian Vettel 
and, and avoiding that, that question, avoiding <laughs> that question like six times. Yeah, he avoided. There's no way that is he he whether however it happened, he knows he did it and he avoided the question. That's what I I, I, I call BS. There you go. There you go. Well, I'm that's, not that's my I'm opinion. not sure on that because looking at body language and stuff, he's not from from how I know him, and it, I, it might I may be wrong. But from how I know him, he's not such a blatant, ice-cold liar. Interesting. It's a very interesting point. And I think, you know, Inga, I think you've been fair here. I think you, you know, I think you're right. I think this will roll on. I think that um, the Twitter sphere, and it already has lit up, will have a lot of opinion on this. And I'm hoping that, you know, this show creates the more and we'll get it out there. Uh, I think your your opinions are valid. I think you're right about Vettel in terms of, I think he literally had, certainly at the time he was interviewed, blanked it out. Um... You know, uh, it really, you know, it, it is true. I, I think, I mean, I watched it just as you watched it, and I'm interested that you've now followed the German interviews and he said the same thing. So he's being um, consistent, if that's the right way, of saying this. Because I thought uh, Buxton's interview, but I'm now seeing from Channel 4 in the UK, they too had interviews with both uh, drivers. Um, yeah, it's just it's just an incident that's a shame because it's it's muddied what was a brilliant performance, and I want to get that because we can't keep you forever. Um, I want you to tell me but, what but you thought. You know what? Let me say this one thing. Okay, isn't it brilliant? Bottom line, isn't it brilliant that wow? <laughs> you know, Formula One has put out a press release saying um, a photo or a video about this incident has been the most um, answered or most reposted. <laughs> um, thing that Formula One has ever had. I mean, this, oh, is, wow. this is bottom line. It's great because things like that, just like the Senna Pros things, they raise discussions. Everybody tomorrow is going to be talking about Formula One. Yep, I, yeah, I you know it. you're absolutely right. Uh, as a brand, it is brilliant, uh, but so too is also the racing as well. I was about to get to that. You're absolutely right. These sort of controversies are what make things stick. People say, "Why is NASCAR so brilliant?" It's because they do this brilliantly, <laughs> uh, and so do do, do Indy. To be fair, uh, IndyCar know exactly when there's a controversy or a crash, they get it out because uh, people want to see that sort of stuff, and they want to talk about it, and they want to argue about it, and they want to pick sides, and they want to pick their guy. That is sport. That is why the Patriots hate the Cowboys and the Cowboys hate the Redskins and so on and so forth. Uh, that is sport. I love that that factor. <laughs> I want to get to the positive, though, Inga. What about Botas? What about uh, Danny Ricardo? Uh, yeah. What about Lance Stroll? I mean, fantastic stories. Amazing. Lovely podium. Wonderful. And the Shoei was back out again. Yay! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... Um, I, I think they should, like... They should produce like a glass or a golden shoe that they just hand them so they don't have to drink out of that. Well, is shoe. it Alpine Stars? I think they should come out with a sort of like, you know, a golden boot. That is brilliant. You know, so so yeah, the girls right. can be in the nightclubs holding a shoey. <laughs> I'm having, I'd like a Moe and Ricardo, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like some foot sweat um, and tequila. Actually, yeah. um, no, brilliant. I mean, look at Bottas. He was like bumped off by um, country fellow man um, Ray Koenig at the start, racing incident. They both kind of apologized to each other, yeah. um, racing incident. So he's way back at the field, fights his way all the ba way back up and comes in second. Ricciardo starts at 10th, falls back because of problems, 
wins the race. I mean, brilliant. Absolutely fabulous. Yeah, and if people forget, he came in early because they were worried about debris in the air ducts, which Verstappen suffered from. So they almost brought him in precautionary um, to change tyres, which put him back down to 17th place. So, And it, as you say, in qualifying, he was down in 10th. He didn't make Q3. So really, really great stories. And, and the other one, obviously, Lance Stroll, uh, pipped at the post by Botas, but um, just still a fantastic story story right i mean it, it was an amazing race bottom line you know hats off to those marshals running across the track and collecting all that debris yeah. it's like almost the whole car in pieces was spread over the track <laughs> yeah it really was well inga oh, yeah. we've run out of time we want to thank you so much for staying up with us and uh getting your very unique perspective and uh, we're, we're still friends, even though I disagree about that. <laughs> no worries. No, I think man of the race and man of the day definitely was young Lance Stroll. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. it was so nice to see how everybody in pit lane congratulating him, saying him all the stuff on Twitter, you know, his, his former teammates from Formula 3 saying, well, look, you know, now you prove them right. You show them that you can do it. All right. Well, Inga Strecker, thank you so much for coming on again. We appreciate Big it. Gets. And we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Talk to you soon, maybe next weekend, eh? Yeah, exactly. Right. Dankeschön. Sounds great, thanks. All right, well, we are going to go to a break, but we are going to play when we come back. We're going we're gonna to have that interview with, uh, with Scott Dixon coming up pretty quick, but before that, we could, we're going to play an interview we did with Lance Stroll about two years ago. Yes. It is really, really fascinating. I heard it a little while ago. and so Before we're gonna, he was anybody. Before he was anybody. Jonathan interviewed him in February of 15, so stay tuned for that. You're listening to Speed City live from Austin, Texas, back after these messages. If you've ridden motorcycles in this part of the country for long, no doubt you know of Bud's Motorcycle Shop. Bud left this world a while back, but his legendary Harley service rides on. No longer is Bud's in downtown Austin, it is now Ravel's Heavy Duty, and they've moved out by the Formula One track. You'll see all the familiar faces, so bring in your new, used, and abused, but there's no sign of shiny showroom prices. So check it out at RavelsHeavyDuty.com. Precision Camera and Video is the largest camera store in Texas with over 10,000 square feet and packed with all the latest manufacturer offerings. Founded in 1976 and still owned and operated by its founders Jerry and Rosemary Sullivan, Precision Camera is committed to the finest customer experience. With hand-picked products and on-hand experts, you won't find a more helpful, knowledgeable and accommodating sales staff for quality service. Come see for yourself, Precision Camera and Video, 2438 West Anderson Lane. The Racetrack. It's where legends are born, where only the finest machines earn their reputation for innovation and dominance. Such are the nameplates you'll find at Aston Martin of Austin, Lotus of Austin, Bentley Austin, and Rolls-Royce Motorcars. Austin exotic, iconic automobiles, whose racing heritage turns everyday driving into an inspiring journey, because you're never just along for the ride. Highway 183 north of McNeil Road. Hi, this is Gordon Deal. Join me weekdays for This Morning, America's First News. Hear the stories you'll be talking about and searching for all day as we go beyond the headlines and above the chatter. Weekdays at 5 on Talk 1370.
Hi, this is Michael Zweibach, driver of the number two discount tire Porsche. Welcome to Speed City. Welcome back to Speed City. We, uh, Sorry, you're not allowed to dance we're, in these we're studios. Gonna have to, not a lot quit playing dance music or music that Jonathan <laughs> on, dances man. to. That thump you heard was Jonathan's mic as he was I'm dancing back. I'm a soul man. And that noise was Jonathan. All right, so when we limited to the break, we told you we were going to play an interview we did with Lance Stroll. This was from February of 2015. Set it up, Jonathan. Y'all were down at Toyota Racing Series. Yeah, um, I, I was saying to my father today, it just amazed. I'm so pleased. I was literally jumping out of my seat to see him achieve this, uh, you know, top rookie, 18 years, and I can't remember that, but 18 years old, uh, top rookie to get on a podium. Um, I want to say, hey, Jack Villeneuve, if you're listening, ha, back oh. at you, my friend. I have a lot of respect for you, Jack Villeneuve, but to say that that man does not deserve to be in Formula One and he's the worst rookie in 10 years, back at you, buddy, because <laughs> Lance Stroll may have had 80 million poured into him, but he just made sure that we knew that he's worth every penny. He's won every series he's been in, including the Toyota Racing Series, which he won for the first time out. Never seen the circuits. As a um, Ferrari junior, I've got a huge amount of respect because it's never easy being a rich kid's uh, son and, and then going into Formula One because obviously it's a very rich sport. But at 18 years old, he has come good today with no extra help in a very confusing race, he outqualified his teammate of, who was almost a world champion himself, Felipe Massa. Um, brilliant. Um, but anyway, going back, sorry. I, no, I was, that's exactly why I wanted you to do this. But I am very, very passionate about this because we met, uh, Speed City met Lance uh, at the Toyota Racing Series. And to see his development from being a junior with nobody who knew him. And when we did this interview, no one knew who he was. I didn't know he even lived near Maranello, but here he is at 16 years of age and already his own man. And today he came of age. Okay, Speed City fans, I'm delighted to welcome to the show the man who is, he is from Canada. He's Lance Stroll. Tell us a little bit about you. You're from Quebec, you're from Montreal. How did you start racing and, and what got you into single-seater racing? So, uh, yeah, well, exactly like you said, I'm from, uh, from Quebec, Canada. I'm 16 years old, and uh, I got into racing in a couple different ways. Uh, my father has, uh, owns a racetrack um, in Mont-Tremblant, uh, so from a young age I got introduced to cars, and he as well has a, quite a big uh, car collection of Ferraris. So uh, I got introduced to, to motorsport racing at a very young age, and uh, I had a huge passion for it ever since I was a little boy. And uh, from there, it just got bigger. I got into go-karting, and then uh, after go-karting into cars, and here I am today. How did you find, or when did you find out that you were actually going to take this seriously? Obviously, it's nice to have that background, but, you know, even your father, it's an expensive sport, and you've got to be, uh, you've got to have that talent. So when did you realize that you had the capability to go to this level? I didn't really take it very seriously until I was about 11, 12 years old. Uh, when Ferrari approached me when I was 11, uh, they offered me if I'd like to be part of their junior academy program and their, their driver development program. And from there, they said, uh, listen, you know, if, if you want to take this opportunity, you, you understand that you're going to have to make a commitment and, and uh, it's going to get more intense from, from here. So um, I, I, I decided then and there that motorsport was uh was what i wanted to to do in my life and and that's uh 
you know, I, I want to keep going in the sport. So after Canada, where did you go to in Europe first? Uh, well, I moved to Geneva, Switzerland, where I currently live now. And uh, from there, I started racing go-karts in Italy, throughout Europe as well, with uh, Keza Corsa, it's the team of the name, in KF3. And uh, yeah, and I went through through the through the karting karting world with the same team, and uh, then I'm after that here now I'm with Prema Power Team, and uh, I just finished Formula Four, and I'm moving on to Formula Three. How does the uh, Ferrari Driver Academy work? I mean, obviously you get chosen; they they see some potential. Um, but but what what makes it special? How does it uh, stand out? It's of course just to be uh, supported by the name Ferrari. It's uh, it's a very strong name, and um, being being a kid. It's, it's quite special to be a part of, I believe. And uh, But it's also it's a program mainly for mental training, physical training. They work with young drivers, as you said. They, they choose drivers that they believe have potential and uh, try and bring out the maximum possible of the drivers. So they, they groom you from a young age and, uh, and they try and make you, make you as, as good a level as possible. How, how old were you when you joined them then? Uh, at 11, 11 years old, I started. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And have you been to Maranello? Have you seen the f uh, the factory? Yeah, many times. I go uh, twice a month around, and uh, I, I do my gym there, and I, I do my mental exercises there. I work with some uh, some sports psychologists, and uh, yeah, so I do most of my work in Mar in Maranello actually. Interesting. And of course, like you say, you're being groomed to, to, to go through and it's what Lewis Hamilton did with McLaren. And, you know, is that a similar plan for you that you hope that, uh, that you know, that the academy will launch you into a position where you can get involved with a Formula One team, even if it's not uh, Ferrari directly? Yeah, I mean, we'll see with the future when there's still a long way to go. You know, I'm just starting my Formula Three career. And uh, anyways, for Formula One, they're saying now you have to be 18. So there's no more 17-year-olds that are allowed to go into Formula One. And, uh, you know, there, there's time ahead. Time will tell. And, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's, there can be many different opportunities that come up in the future, if there are any opportunities that come up in the future. I mean, you know, it's not guaranteed. There's only 24, 22 drivers today that are, that are in the field. So it's, it's a very small amount of teams and drivers. So it, it's not... You know, it's easier to say than actually be done to be part of those 24 drivers. But, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm not too, I'm not thinking about that at the moment. I'm just thinking about the step uh, I have this year, which is European Formula 3. And after that, we'll, we'll look for Formula 1 or whatever it will be. Just being from Canada, though, um, were there never thoughts of following in the sort of Paul Tracy steps and going towards Indy? Or was it always, gonna, was it always Formula 1 for you? No, I think Formula 1 is... It's always been it's always been F one in my mind. Have you been to Montreal in the Grand Prix? Many times, yes. So who would you say if you had to take a driver currently that you would be and it doesn't have to be a Ferrari one, but just somebody that you think, okay, that's the kind of guy I wanna end up like? No one. I don't pick one driver. I mean I, I admire all drivers. I think you know, all drivers are unique. There's they all work in different ways and I'll be me, so uh, you know, it's if I'm like Fernando, or if I'm like Kimmy, or if I'm like Lewis, I, I can't say. I don't know. I just I have to prepare myself as, as well as possible and see if I arrive even close to, to them. And I don't really have one in mind that I'd like to be like. I mean, I just want to be myself, be unique, and uh, yeah, that's it. No one, he said. Like no one else. And it's always been F1. Fascinating. Yeah. Those two things that really stand out that he said, 
No IndyCar, nothing. He wanted to be, and this was two, two and a half years, years ago. ago. Yeah. He said nothing but F1, and then ask him which driver? Nobody. No and, one. And also, uh, it just shows you, I mean, you know, the rules changed. Verstappen got in at 17. He couldn't drive Formula One at, at 17 because they changed the rules. So, Stroll couldn't. Right, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's had a very meteoric rise. And like I said, I've watched Lance Stroll. I've been close quarters with him, obviously, doing the Toyota Series and Formula 3. Uh, and like I said, he was kind of, a lot of people were critical about the Silver Spoon, about the fact that his father is one of the richest men in the world and owns one of the largest uh, Ferrari, um, you know, um, collections in Canada and owns the, you know, the, the circuit. The track, I yeah. mean, you know, you can't get a bigger Silver Spoon. And has invested a lot of money in Lance's career and been very active in making sure he got the right drives and all the rest of it. But it's and today it's come to fruition. And if he was, he was leading, doing that and at the back of the grid, I mean, you know, Max yeah. Chilton has a similar thing. Max Chilton um, was also given a lot of, um, you know, hard time about the fact that he's got money behind him. But, I mean, I, I, I think that's bunkum, honestly. And he, was, and he was leading the Toyota Racing Series Championship when you did this interview. And yes, he was. How many other drivers have gone down there and realized that this wasn't so easy? And, in fact, have, have yeah, have had their noses rubbed in it, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he is one every series he's been in and I think today and in fact I think the, the, the changing point was Canada to get those points in Canada yeah. the confidence that that's given him I think Felipe coming back and literally being there to mentor him while enjoying a season with no pressure on him and I'm talking about Felipe having no right. pressure I think he's driven better than he's ever driven okay. uh, and Williams can be well pleased with that that's that's the first points they've got I gotta give the NBC boys I mean, first credit first podium they've got excuse me this yeah year. I get the NBC boys credit because I don't remember if it was Matchett or, or who or what it was but as soon as he won, I mean, as soon as he uh, scored points a couple of weeks ago in Canada, they were saying, you know what, this is the kind of thing that can can, yeah. can give you that confidence boost to do really well, and boom, they were dead on. And right. by the way, I should I read between the lines. Dad is a big Ferrari owner and collector, <laughs> and don't be too petulant if you're driving the Ferrari right now. There are youngsters in the wing. I was yeah, going to say, well, there's another one too, Verstappen. <laughs> did you see? Yes. He did not do an interview. Today, he walked out and did not talk to the press. And also, he's been lined up for a potential Ferrari drive. That's what I'm saying, yeah. 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 yeah, so this is really, really interesting. Well, guys, I want to I want to talk about Haas F1 because yes. I haven't confirmed this. I've tried to confirm it, but, I, I, but today, when Magnussen was up in third place, I think that's the highest they've ever been in a, in a, in a race that uh, where Magnussen was today at third. Yes, and that was, yeah, I think so. And I think certainly that was the best performance by Magnussen, um, without a doubt. And under very strong... Will somebody put the brakes on Grosjean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If you know what I mean. He's going to have a hard time now because he's now behind Magnussen. Magnussen is now a point of head, ahead of Grosjean. <laughs> That has got to but not I, go you know, over well. I, I think we should do a podcast. I think we should do some investigation for our viewers and our fans uh, on Speed City and get to the bottom of this break situation um, because it's got to stop. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, no, but I'm I'm being funny, but I'm being serious because it now is becoming yeah. public. He told Will Buxton, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. And you have to talk about it because it's a big, big problem. He was on the radio in the first 10 laps going, the brakes have gone. Yep. Tell me when it's dangerous to come. You know, tell me tell me when you want me to stop because I don't want to drive dangerously, do I? Ooh, That's yeah. what he literally said to his engineer. Yeah. And, of yeah. course, in yeah. the in uh, interviews on, on Saturday, he was like, Will kept asking about the brakes. He goes, I'm not talking about yeah. the brakes. I'm I not going to talk about it's, it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not good. 
We know they're not good. I'm not going to talk anymore. Hey, but but there's lots of good news, right? Haas went, moved up in the in yeah. the constructors championship. Yeah, yeah. So those are the things that are coming around, and we're starting to see that. And you know, I want to look at history just for a minute over it. We're now seeing the increase to where we're we're not uh, we didn't get our lucky start in Australia the first season, you know, or like we did oh, the first right, season. Right. Now we're starting to see, to me, what the team is going to sustain and be able to deliver. Yeah, a more mature situation because well they they got fifth last year and and obviously we talk about today but Magnuson ended up seventh and there was no way he was going to hold that spot at at even fourth or fifth because the Mercedes and Ferrari guys were coming up behind him but this is the sixth race where they've had points this year and this is the fourth in a row so this is awesome for Haas F1 yeah and it's also awesome as Liberty take over and the branding of Formula One and the marketing of Formula One goes up remember Haas has only pretty much sponsored his own car for Haas Automation because he wanted the name of Haas Automation to get onto a global scale. He's got a fantastic company. It's well-branded here in the States in in NASCAR, uh, but he wanted to take it globally. That's two years now of that global branding. It's time for that car, which effectively is an empty car, to get a blue-chip American sponsor. Walmart, Target, you name it. Yeah. Oh, come on. We can do better than that. (laughs) (laughs) J.C. (laughs) Panay? Uh, I don't think they got it. Nordstrom's. <laughs> H-E-B? I, I don't know there who you to go. think hey, come of. Come on that. now. Yeah, come on now. H-E-B. All right, boys. Well, let's Sonny go Morgan? Let's go ahead and take a break because <laughs> when we Martin. get back, we're going to have that interview with Scott Dixon, who uh, was fresh off the win yeah. in IndyCar today. Listen to Speed City. Come on. Back after these messages. Camera and Video is the largest camera store in Texas with over 10,000 square feet and packed with all the latest manufacturer offerings. Founded in 1976 and still owned and operated by its founders Jerry and Rosemary Sullivan, Precision Camera is committed to the finest customer experience. With hand-picked products and on-hand experts, you won't find a more helpful, knowledgeable and accommodating sales staff for quality service. Come see for yourself, Precision Camera and Video, 2438 West Anderson Lane. Ambia Gusta motorcycles are the epitome of Italian style, precisely crafted with a passion for two-wheel art on wheels. Ducati Austin are the only Ambia Gusta and Ducati factory authorized technicians in Austin, servicing all European brands. Check the Brutali Sport Naked, the most extreme essential naked bike ever. Or the Turismo Veloce 800, the first revolutionary tourer to be built by Ambia Gusta. Or if you want a pedigree steeped in racing, then look no further than the World Supersport winning triple F3, 675 and 800. Or go all out for the ultimate legendary F4 MV Augusta. Italian style with Texas soul. Trade-in, consignments welcome and financing available. Ducati Austin and the home of MV Augusta at 818 Breaker Lane, just east of I-35. If every talk radio program were the same, what would be the point? The Michael Berry Show is a little bit different. We're going to talk about politics, but we'll also talk about how great it is to live in Texas. Weekdays 5 to 7 on Talk 1370. It's the Michael Berry Show. On air, online, and on your smart device, Talk 1370 is the right choice. Hi, I'm J.D. Beach, and you're listening to Speed City. 
romantic. He beats. Makes you smile when you hear him. I just love, I, you know, anytime I hear that boy's name. I know. Hey, we said we were going to talk IndyCar, but but let's talk a little sidebar IndyCar first because <laughs> Fernando Alonso. He's got a point. He's got a point. How can we let today's show go? That's how crazy this race was. I know. We almost didn't yep, even mention yep. that. Best thing he said, though, was on the radio. Yeah. As, as two world champions passed us, and, and Matchett pointed out that with nine world champions in shot, uh, with Hamilton, Vettel, and Alonso, he said, as they passed him, he went, we could have run this race. <laughs> we could have won this race. <laughs> it was so great. If, if we had sure. the power. It was so great. He's got a sense of humor. We it's don't ironic, get to see it a lot. But, you know? you know, it's a good segue because Alonso was part of the failure uh, of Honda at um, the Indy 500. He was leading it. Uh, and today, as has happened before, Dixon wins uh, for Honda. Uh, so it's, and against a multitude of Chevrolets um, chasing him down from Penske. So, you know, Honda are, are fighting two causes on two different sides of the pond. Um, and, you know, it's it's a tough game. It's a tough game. I mean, Formula One, they're having a disaster. Um, and in and obviously in Indy, they're going great. They're leading the championship now by 34 points. Uh, and still, road cars is what it's all about selling. And Honda are one of the finest. Well, let's go ahead and Jonathan talked to Scott Dixon about an hour ago so or so, and uh, let's hear this interview now with Scott Dixon. I'm delighted to welcome back onto the show Scott Dixon after a fantastic performance. Scott, I was covering the race. I want to start on a personal moment. I was covering the race for, for BT Sport in the UK, and I know that uh, your wife, well, I don't hope she was watching it, but um, I know they weren't there today. But um, after what you and your family have been through, and I was kind of part of it at the, at the 500 that week, uh, it's been a tumultuous few weeks, uh, both of racing, both on and off the track. And, and the fact that you're sitting here in, in the winner's circle today, you, you've kind of been, must be sighing a bit of a relief, generally speaking. Yeah, it's been uh, it's definitely been an emotional month, I guess, and, and a bit of a wild ride, you know, obviously with the crash and then uh, the Taco Bell incident. And, uh, you know, we, we, we really haven't had any downtime, you know, going straight to a doubleheader at Detroit, then on to Texas, and then on to Le Mans 24 hour, and then back here to Road America. So uh, I'm definitely looking forward to next week. We have a weekend off, which is going to be uh, pretty sweet. And Emma will be back. She's, yeah, she's in England, uh, probably. Probably, uh, I don't know, probably at a spa somewhere, I think, uh, out in Hampshire somewhere, you know, uh, chilling a little bit, but she did get to watch the race. But, um, yeah, definitely uh, definitely looking forward to the week off, which I normally don't, but um, I'm, I'm in drastic need of uh, some rest and try and get some more rehab done on the sample. It's funny because I asked Emma, I said, well, how, you know, how do you deal with the 500? And she was like, well, I'm pretty used to I used to be an athlete. But she was describing how that for both of you, it was pretty tough, the, the sort of out of race incidents like the Taco Bell thing. I mean, you know, I mean, you're planning for so many things at that month. Then you're injured and then you have that crash and then you have to go to Detroit. And, and again, not an easy circumstance uh, physically. Yeah, no, no, it's definitely, uh, D Detroit is hard enough, I think, you know, going straight after Indianapolis without any issues and, you know, obviously a, a completely destroyed car, um, you know, and, and a lot of credit to, to the cruise, you know, the cruise is, is, is probably the toughest, you know, sort of six-week um, stretch, you know, with all the efforts and, and tireless hours that they put in uh, through Indianapolis and then straight to a doubleheader at Detroit and then Texas, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, for me, it's, uh, it's the first time I've, you know, come out of Indy with, with uh, you know, a significant injury. And, and had to do, you know, uh, two races and, and definitely Detroit being, you know, one of our bumpiest and, and more physical circuits that we come across, especially on a, on a fine weekend. But, um, yeah, we've, we've tried to make the most of it. Um, you know, I think for us, you know, the season um, has not 
you know, sort of gone our way in many situations. You know, I think St. Pete, Long Beach, uh, Alabama, um, even Texas, you know, we, we had great opportunities of winning those races and, and came up short, um, you know, one way or another. So it's uh, it's nice to, um, you know, come from or, or at least have a day where we maybe didn't think we had the speed or performance to win um, to be pleasantly surprised. You know, on the first sit, I was like, man, we've really got a shot. You know, this the engine's performing well. We can get great fuel mileage and we're able to have a really good pace. You know, at a track that maybe is not uh, that well suited to, to the Honda Air kit, but uh, you know, kudos to, to everybody at Honda and HPD for, for getting the performance out of the engine. Yeah, no question about it. Your 41st win, and again, um, even though if you watch the race, it looked as though it was plain sailing, uh, you had that fuel uh, pressure issue, I believe, in the warm-up, so not the perfect start to the day. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely very concerning. Um, you know, it was, it was a, a starvation issue that you know we had like third gear and beyond. So it's not something you can even uh, try and eliminate in in, in the pits or, or in the garage. Um, you can't put enough stress on the engine to, to make it you know require that amount of fuel delivery. So um, you know the the night car crew and, and you know uh, did as much as they could to replace the whole fuel cell, everything that you know leads uh, fuel to, to the engine. Uh, but it was pretty much just you know fingers crossed and hoping that was going to be okay. The only time we really got to test it or make sure it was going to work um, was on the parade lap. And, and uh, luckily enough, you know they fixed whatever issue was. You know we haven't uh, figured out what it was, but uh, it's also hard you know going into the race having not done warm-up there's a lot of things that you typically save you know for warm-up you know getting fuel mileage out of different mixtures that you need uh the trim level that you need to run for the race so uh you know uh, chris simmons did a hell of a job to, to pick uh, you know the right mixtures and, and uh you know the trim for the aerodynamics that we need for the race what about the overtake because it was decisive and obviously um made the, made the race for you really because with the choice of three or four stops um there were times where you wanted to be pushing and times where you wanted to kind of reserve a little bit and it looked as though you were playing cat and mouse at the end in terms of using the push to you know using the push as much as you could when you needed to how important was that pass on Newgarten at the time yeah, I think it was the, the key parts of the race, you know, uh, but there was a lot of things that aligned to that, you know, it was the strategy, we were very lucky to just catch that caution, you know, we had just come out of the pits, um, you know, which which helped, uh, you know, had we stayed another lap out, we would have been hosed, you know, we would have gone to, to the back of the field or at least mid-pack, but um, yeah, it was uh, to... to we, we switched strategies with them, you know, as far as the blacks to the reds, and, and uh, we had that, you know, that caution, you know, uh, which enabled us on the reds to have a little more grip early on on the sit, which I think enabled us to, to go around the outside, but, um, you know, it was great to race, you know, in a scenario like that where, you know, we, we both gave each other room, and, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, I was all unsure, you know, I got a good run up the hill, and I was like, oh, we're beside, and then it kind of all petered out, and I'm like, hmm. Now this is going to get a bit tricky going into turn one, but uh, you know it was, it was nice to pull that off, and you know we definitely had some great speed once we found uh, clean air. Well, congratulations! Also, a, a track that you haven't won at, and uh, I think there's only five left that you haven't won at, so uh, <laughs> you can tick those off the list or this one off the list. But um, what about the season ahead? Now you've got 34 points over Simon. You've seen in the past just how tough he can be, uh, but so too are all the Penske boys. I mean, again, you got one over on them today. Uh, in a good way, uh, but it's going to be that way all, all season long. Um, do you feel that the package you've got now is going to be strong enough to keep you going all the way to the end? Uh, you know, I think it's it's going to be kind of hit and miss a little bit. We we know uh, Iowa's going to be tough. You know, it's our next one on the schedule in a couple of weeks here. Um, you know, the, the short track ovals, um, you know, with, with the kit that we have is, is probably the toughest. You know, we saw that... Um, 
we saw that big time at, at uh, Phoenix. Um, you know, it's, it's just trying to maintain the best that we can in those situations. Um, but I think there's areas, you know, on the three courses that we have remaining, some of uh, like Mid-Ohio, we've got, uh, you know, Toronto. There's a lot of good places that we'll come to, and Pocono, I think, will be very strong. Um, you know, it, it was a shame that we didn't emphasize it at, uh, you know, at, at Texas, where I think, you know, uh, Honda should have won there as well. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard. The, the, this championship always comes down to the wire, and, and uh, there's so many different components to it but um, you know the, the thing for us if there's weekends that we can't win you know we've got to try and come second if we can't come second we've got to try and come third and, and try and maintain as best as possible but uh, all in all you know I think for the first part of this year we've, we've had really good pace at, at just about every track and last couple of final questions uh, obviously um 41 is a big number but uh, how does this rank in terms of satisfaction because it looked from the outside as though everything went according to plan in terms of the move and in terms of your strategy yeah, these are these are definitely weekends that um, you know. I think everybody on the team definitely uh, did everything perfect. Um, you know, and, and they're hard to come by. You know, it's it's, it's extremely tough to pull off, and, and uh, you know the competition that we have right now in the Verizon Car Series is, is just through the roof. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, these these ones you, you definitely remember. For me, you know, like I rode America. It's it's a, a very iconic track. It's it's um, you know it's a place that everybody wants to win it. You know, and, and I remember talking to Dario many times for many years about winning at this place and, and uh, you know for me it's, it's definitely right in the top five you know of, of victory uh, well Scott I know you've had a, a long uh, and busy day so thank you for your time on Speed City thanks for coming on again and best of luck in the next one thanks man I appreciate it it's good to see you Great job, Jonathan. And we have the entire. We'll have the entire. Yeah, we more. That, it's about the same interesting minutes. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to put that out on uh, on our website, on SoundCloud, and stuff like that. But and Jonathan, I want to thank Indy. What a what a great you know great for having the, the winner of the race. Thank I know it's so <laughs> fantastic. They've been great to it us. It is lately. cool. Well, let's Two talk, wheels, guys. Let's talk MotoGP. Jonathan, I think us. I think I can sum this one up. Okay, because it's valet, man. <laughs> The Cathedral of Speed is Assen. Today, the lesson was read by Valentino Rossi. <laughs> okay, but I'm, I'm gonna, I gotta throw an asterisk in there. And okay, Mr. Historian. Is there a goal as well as an asterisk? No. <laughs> There's something. Hey, so I gotta say, here we go. Dovi leading in points. Wow. 115 for he, the season. I, I knew he dove into that one. Vinales 111 and Rossi 108. Marquez 104. Who cares? But anyway. <laughs> Do we have to go back to Stoner to talk about Ducati leading? Don't talk about that. But yes, you do. <laughs> Crap. You'd have to be stoned. Uh, no, I mean, literally, Casey Stoner. Yeah, last time I think Ducati led the world championship. And uh, you're right. It's a fantastic point. Brilliant. Yeah. And let's see if they, I mean, what a championship this year starting I know, to turn this out. Is really Can incredible. we have Austin again at the end of the year? Well, you know, it really sucks is we're out of time. This is, the well, F1 we race to, was we so will, great. Okay, I will do a bike show. I'll get Martin, I'll get a few more. We'll get there like, we'll, do, we'll do a bike show. Here we need we, go. Right, we, we need gotta to. go, guys. Thanks a lot for tuning in to Speed City. Check us out on our website, speedcitybroadcast.com and SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, and FaceTube and whatever else you got. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Ciao, y'all. Happy trails. Check in and stay up to date all day long. In the car, on my way to work, heading home. Listening online keeps you in touch while you work at Talk1370.com. Get it right now. Talk 1370. Anywhere I need. The right choice. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.